My Podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, solo mum and life coach Mel Johnson, and every week I'll be asking my guests their view on dating, relationships, societal pressure, and how to make the final decision that solo motherhood is the right path for you. In today's episode, I chat to pregnant solo mum-to-be, Emmy. Emmy is an educator, a businesswoman, and is seeking to reimagine black solo motherhood. Hi, Emmy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really Hi. looking forward to having you uh, as a guest on the podcast. So I'm trying to think how we met. I think we met through Instagram, didn't we? Was it Instagram or Facebook? It was Instagram. I was, yeah. um, I've been following you for a while, actually, on Instagram, and I am on the uh, Stalk and I uh, Facebook group as well. Yeah. Um, and I think when I was doing my research initially into becoming a solo mom, um, that's one of the reasons why I started following you and also being in the group as well. And it was just like a valuable resource. I was probably one of those people that just lurk in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but it was I found it really useful in terms of doing research and hearing from other people that were in the same kind of position that I was and just being completely new to the whole fertility kind of industry it was at some times overwhelming so I think speaking to other people and having that type of platform and forum where you were kind of also amongst people who were experienced but also amongst people who were novices it really helped in my decision making and um yeah I found it really useful I think that's one of the absolute positives of uh, social media you know lots of people it does get some flack doesn't it but there are absolute benefits of it and this community for me definitely is one of them being able to reach out to people yeah I would a thousand percent agree with that I mean the communities that you can find on Facebook and the support that you can receive are sometimes more helpful than the support that you that you would see from perhaps your, your normal friendship groups because there's that mutual kind of understanding because you're kind of going through the same process as, as yeah. somebody else so and um, n- nobody understands IVF until you're actually going through it because it is so invasive and it is it's not a kind of magic bullet in that sense people just assume oh you're going through IVF you are going to have a baby yeah. but for a lot of people that doesn't happen so um i think having these communities these support communities on um social media is definitely definitely a positive yeah and i think that's a really important point i've spoken to quite a few of the guests about that particularly in the solo mum community because you often spend so long deciding if this is the thing that you want to do you don't even give much consideration to the fact that then it might not work and it, it yeah. you, you almost presume that when you start the outcome will yeah exactly so i think it's important for people to to understand that so do you want to just give a bit of an introduction to who you are and where you are in this journey at the moment yeah, so um, I'm Emmy, I'm 36 years old um, and I'm 24 weeks and four days. Um, this is my second pregnancy, so this was my frozen transfer. I had um, my first cycle, unfortunately, um, was a miscarriage and this is my second transfer and I'm having a little boy. Um, Exciting. Think 
Yeah, very excited. I think I think it's a bit surreal as well, just because of everything that's happening yeah. um, with the pandemic, etc. So it's not necessarily the pregnancy I initially thought it would be, yeah. but it's still something that I don't know. I, I like the fact that it's kind of not not a secret, but obviously my work colleagues and stuff like that wouldn't have seen me because I've been shielded. True. So I feel like it's just something special like that me and the close ones around me know about. I feel like I'm protecting him basically from yeah. <laughs> from everything to the world. So Oh, um, that's I, nice. Excellent. And so then if we go back to the beginning, so mm-hmm. what what sort of led you up to making the decision to become a solo mum? Well, I've perhaps been broody all of my twenties. I've always right. like, yeah, like I've been like, I want to have a baby, I want to have a baby. And then I suppose I kind of just did the whole career thing first, went to university, um, kind of satisfied my parental need to have some formal education. My mum's, well, my mum and dad's need for me to have formal education. Then I got into teaching and throughout this time, obviously, I've been dating different people, but never quite got to that stage where we were at the point where we would be like moving in or thinking about having children but I knew it was something I'd always wanted to do. And I think I got to my 35th birthday and I was like, okay, 35, I'm five years away from 40 and I've not met anyone. Like, mm. this is not, this is not normal. Like, I felt, I don't know, I felt quite, um, like I didn't fit in in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And everyone, not everyone, my one of my best friends, she was always in a relationship. And then me and my other best friends were the kind of like always single ones or we'd be in a relationship for a period of time. And then for whatever reason, it didn't work. And I got to the point where I was like, I found like I was dating because I wanted to have a child and not dating because I actually wanted to meet someone. So I was actually putting myself on this timeline thinking I've only got five years time, right? So I need to be with someone. I need to be with them for about a year. And after that year, we can talk about having kids. And then mm. you, you're kind of in this vicious cycle of going rounds and rounds and round, and then dismissing people. And, you know, and it was just like, it was so draining and so mentally exhausting. And it was actually making me really, really unwell. Mm. And I thought to myself, and then I spoke to a counsellor about it. She was like, well, why have you set yourself this, this target of like 40? Do you know, you can have kids at and I was like, I know. I was like, but doesn't it get harder? And what if I can't? It's not necessarily a given. And she was like, kind of told me, you're being too hard on yourself. And what's to say that you can't do it by yourself or whatever? And then following that, I'd spoken to, I went to my hairdresser and I was speaking to my hairdresser actually. Always a me, font of good advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> literally went to the hairdressers and this was the last conversation I expected to have because it was obviously like a black hairdresser and she said to me well one of my clients has just had IVF and she's had a baby I said oh with her partner she's like no she's done it by herself and she's like that's what you should do she went she just done it by herself she's just a single mum and I went really and she went yeah I said oh will you find that for me where she went and how she did it she went yeah, I'll see if I, I can give you a number. Well, they're, a, they're literally a font of all networking information. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> and then it literally started from that. And then I kind of went home and started Googling things, like Googling, you know, solo parenthood and 
googling for care how does this happen so it's got to happen via a fertility clinic and mm. googling the stats for IVF at my age and so forth and so forth and then I was a little bit disheartened because I was like it is very expensive and then I thought well you can't put a price really on mm. having a child and having that kind of and filling that gap I know there was a definite pang there was like an aching and I've been there you know amazing I know I'm a really good auntie. I treat my aunt, my nieces and nephews like they're my own. And everyone used to say to me, when are you having kids? You'll be such a good mom. And you get all these, you know, lovely compliments. But I, and at the end of it, I'd walk away feeling so sad that that wasn't, it was just wasn't in the pipeline for me because I needed that, you know, male person there to provide me with that, that thing that I so desperately wanted. And then I kind of got my head around it and was like, okay, so this, there are women out there that have babies and choose to do that by themselves. And I was like, okay, okay, maybe this is my route to motherhood. Maybe this is how I become the mother. No, it's not necessarily what I would have dreamt of or stereotypical, but it's a route that I'm worth, I'm willing to explore. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's how it kind of all came about. And then when I made that decision, I felt like such a weight had been lifted off my really? shoulders. I literally felt like I don't need to date anymore. I literally deleted all the dating apps and everything that I was on. And I was just like, I don't need to do this anymore because I know I know my route to motherhood now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah. like I said, my I was thinking my route to motherhood would be the stereotypical, you meet a man and you have a child and you get married and all the rest of it. Yeah. For me, that's not going to be it. And how, how easy did you find that to sort of let go of that idea? Do you know what? It was hard at first. And I perhaps, I said it to myself and I spoke to my best friend about it. And I think it must have been about nine months later, I came back to the idea. And we were talking and she was like, well, go and have a consultation. I was like, yeah, I probably should have a consultation because naively I assumed that I only needed to have IVF because mm. I just didn't have the sperm. Yeah. So I just assumed, and when you do want to have a baby, you assume that you'll just be able to have one, that things will just click into place. You know, you've been trying the majority of the adult life not, not to get to. pregnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when you do want to get pregnant, you know, like in previous relationships, I was trying with my partner to get pregnant and it just wasn't working. And like mm. I was, was not falling pregnant. And then I was like, well, clearly it must be me because he's got two children and I don't have any. Right. The assumption was I am the problem. So then I thought, well, yeah, let's let, let me do some investigations and see what what's going on internally. I'm having periods and everything else, but I just, it just seemed to be falling into place. Um, and then I, I, I booked that uh, fertility MOT, and I think that genuinely did give me the wake-up call to go, okay, this needs to happen now. This right. definitely needs to happen now. Um, just from the results that um, that came back. So what can um, you remember what it showed? Yes. So I had the, is it the AMH yeah. test done? I had the antrophological test done. So when I had my results come back, there was this particular fertility clinic that I wanted to go to because it was called like, I think it's got shoebox IVF. So it was relatively cheap, it's like £2,500, which is 
quite cheap wow. in, in relation to IVF. Yeah. And it was with a really, really good complement, but you had to meet this very specific criteria. So she said everything else was fine. Like It was like your weight, your age, and this AMH result that they were specifically looking for. And I didn't know much about it at the time. Hmm. And I Googled it. And the only way to find out what the result was, was to have this particular consultation and have the test to find out what it was. Hmm. Because most women don't walk around knowing what that is or no. in relation to the biology or anything like that. No. So when I had that done, it came back as being um, five. And I think there's a range from five to four, I don't know, 40 or something like that. Mm. And she said it's on the lower end of mm. the scale. And so I think their criteria was 11. Right. And she did tried to appeal it because she said everything else is fine but she said because it's so low mm. she said it's not it's not something that we'd, we'd be able to help you with I think it's based on the medication that they give you etc um, and she said to me she said even though you're not obviously coming with us because you don't meet our criteria she said I would say not to wait she right. said because with an AMH where yours is now she said, with every year, it's only going to decrease. If you're thinking about this now, she said, I wouldn't leave it much longer. Just do it. Yeah, basically just do it. And I thought to myself, well, she's got no reason to kind of, I can't go with her company. Yeah, she's okay. nothing, there's nothing in yeah, it for yeah, her yeah. telling you that. Yeah. yeah, to say to me, you need to go and have, you need to do this now, blah, blah, blah. What she said to me, she said, I really would strongly mm. advise you to do this now kind of thing. She said, before it gets any harder or any more complicated. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then she gave me a few other clinics to try. And then that was that solidified it for me. I came home that day and I was like, this needs to get booked. Um, I need to explore what my options are. But I was also really sad because I thought, nobody talks about fertility. You know, nobody tells us about eggs and eggs having a lot like a time span almost yeah. i know we have that whole idea of the biological clock but what about the biological clock what yeah. is it there's not that, much fact behind it is yeah, there we don't really understand not, yeah, why we don't understand <laughs> the you know the, the logistics behind yeah. it and i think that in itself is so empowering yeah i i did a, a poll on um, instagram about you know who understood fertility before they started looking into solo motherhood and virtually everyone was saying yeah. had no clue St school just teaches you about mainly how not to get pregnant yeah. but but nothing mm -hmm. you know most people didn't understand at all so I, i'm really passionate about changing fertility education and making women more aware of some yeah. of the facts it's so much more empowering absolutely. to know isn't absolutely. it absolutely and even since then like four of my friends like my best friend has literally last week just had a fertility test done because she'd been trying for over 13 months and nothing was happening right and I was like I know they say I'll oh, give you 18 months I said but you're going to be 36 this year yeah, how about you wait. just have the check done see where you're at let's find out and even um another couple of my friends as well like and I told her I was pregnant. She was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready. I said, well, if you're not, if you're not. I said, but go and have your checks done. I said, yeah. if you need to, you can freeze your eggs. I said, but you don't want any regrets kind True. of thing. True. And I, am, I, I really do think more needs to be done. We need to have more of an open discussion about fertility. Yeah. Um, particularly more so when you're in your 20s. 
Yeah. A lot of I know in my twenties, if you talk to me about fertility, I'd have been like, no, I'm fine. I just come yeah. off the and then that would be it. And also, that's <laughs> probably something that's going to happen in quite a few years. Yeah, so later down I don't the need line, to yeah. think about it now. Yeah. And, I, and did and you think... talk to your friends about it? Because I, I don't think friends even really talk about it to each other particularly. No, that's the thing. No, we yeah. never discussed. But the only thing that we discussed was I had PCOS when I was a lot younger. Yeah. And it was like PCOS and a little bit of endometriosis. So those were the only things we used to, dis- to discuss. But yeah. since uh, I lost a bit of weight and stuff, that kind of regulated itself. Oh, so um, when I went back and had all my tests and stuff, um, I didn't have as many cysts on my ovaries and my, sympt- my symptoms were a lot more um, uh, reduced. So the doctor said, you know, you should be fine in terms of having a baby. If you're getting a period every 28 days, it's like most women who have PCOS don't have 28-day cycles. So he was like, that's really, really good. So we talked about it in terms of PCOS and stuff like that. We never spoke about actual fertility, what it means, freezing eggs. And sometimes I think to myself, if I had my time again, I would have probably frozen my eggs at 25. Mm. And I always say, if if I had a daughter... Or I would definitely, when she's in her 20s, be saying, let's get those eggs frozen. Even uh, if, you know, like, you want to go travelling, you want to go, I don't care, I will mm. pay for you mm. to have your eggs frozen. I think that's going to become more and more common to give people yeah. a little bit more. And I wonder whether what you described, that dating was really hard because you felt like time was ticking and you, you're wondering if you were looking for like almost a sperm donor or a partner. Yeah, that that pressure that. might have been taken mm-hmm. off if you hadn't felt that same pressure because you've got your eggs yeah, frozen. Yeah, yeah I think I that'll definitely think- change. And I also think that, you know, as a younger person, there was, a, there was a massive stigma. And I know, like, being black, if I, was, if I was to have come home with a child at 15 or 14, that would have been, like, like you know, terrible in terms yeah. of how that would have been perceived. Yeah. I think to myself, you know, if me now looking at it, if my child came to me and was like, Mom, I'm 19 or whatever and I'm pregnant okay that's fine have you have your child yeah you know because it's not given that when you're 30 you're going to be able to do that yeah and I think that's where my mentality is completely different now and I think to myself you know women that perhaps do have their children in their when in their 20s they've kind of got it out of the way yeah. and then they've got the 30s or whatever to do the careers and etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah there's but almost like no it... no right or wrong is there there's like yeah, different yeah. whereas i think when we grew up but certainly when i grew up it was uh, definitely it was portrayed as more right and wrong so you shouldn't do it early yeah, you, you should wait mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. but actually there's it's just there's there's just differences depending if you do it early yeah. or later but from a biological point of view later certainly then brings different yeah. challenges and I, and I think as women like we've put off a lot of um you know we've put off having children but biologically our bodies are like you should be having children in your <laughs> yeah. why are you waiting like, uh, our body, it's like our bodies haven't caught up with our, <laughs> our lifestyle and we're so like true. no <laughs> yeah our bodies are still stuck in that day where you, you you get married and you have kids at 13 or whatever it is but you know like we're having kids later and later and later but our bodies are like well no that's not how it's supposed to yeah. go and 
you so travel fall into difficulty due to that. Yeah. And how how did your family or how do your family feel about your decision? Are, are they supportive? Did you share it with them early or? Yeah, I mean, my mum has been like my rock. She oh. is my rock anyway. But yeah. I kind of thought she'd be a bit, I don't know. I thought she'd not understand it, to be honest. Right. Because she's very she's very religious Mm -hmm. so she's a like proper christian you know jamaican woman Mm -hmm. and i thought she'd find any type of intervention into the natural process yeah quite um odd in that sense i know because i know a lot of jamaicans for example they don't go down the ivf route because they see as not being natural so to speak okay so I thought she'd kind of have that mindset almost like you're messing with nature however she was just the the first initial reaction was okay and then she was like well oh do you not think you should wait you know the right person might come along blah 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 but then after I had those tests and I told her like, uh... this is what they said she was like okay she was like Emma I'm 100% behind you do what you need to do it's, it's not an issue and um, as she said to me she said there's no greater feeling than having children Emma. Said, whatever you need to to do to have that she said I'm 100% behind you and that was so it was so nice of her to say that because mm. I wasn't expecting that kind of reaction from her. I thought she'd be typical old school. I thought I'd have to be having this arduous kind of back for foot mom, it's this. But she was like, no, go for it. She's like, do you need me to come to any of your appointments? What do you need me to do? She's been so supportive. And even throughout my whole entire pregnancy, I speak to my mum probably like multiple times a day. First thing in the morning, she phones me and she's like, How, How's my grandson? Like, <laughs> she's always asking me how her crazy kicking. Yeah, that's good. Like, she's always asking me how her, like, she's, she's very motherly, my mummy. Yeah. Very, very, very motherly. And even all my friends say that they're like, Your mum's a proper mumsy mum. Like, she babies you, even though you're 36. But it's nice to have that, particularly doing it on your own. It's nice to have somebody looking out for you, isn't it? Yeah. 100%. And it's so much easier when you've got your family's support. If you're having to also try to bring them along, it can be much more difficult. Much more harder. But no, and I'm like, my dad lives in Jamaica. He uh, retired back there a couple of years ago. and I told him and he burst into tears and he was just so happy for me because he was like, you know, you're going to make an amazing mom. He was like, I'm so, so happy. So they've been amazing. They've been truly, truly amazing. And nobody's kind of said anything. None of my family have said anything derogatory about it or been shocked about it. Maybe they, and my dad even said to me, because I didn't really, I didn't really expect anything different from you, to be fair, man. It's just like, I kind of expected you'd go about this some different way. And he said, no, he said, you know, he said, he goes, you've done the right thing. Yeah, said, your, happiness no is, now, well, yeah. your happiness mm. is obviously their number one priority. And yeah, definitely. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. And um, so what would you say the hardest part for you was um, about doing this on your own or, or is because you're currently still going through it? Is there anything specific that you found difficult doing on your own? Um, do you know what? I'm, I can't honestly say that I've found 
the process hard. The only thing that I found quite uh, invasive was we're actually doing the medication, the actual IVF process, and yeah. going through the first bit and having the miscarriage. That was really, really hard. Yeah. Because, like I said, I think I was naive to think that it was just going to work. And it's hard being and on your own. Did you did you have people then supporting you through that? Oh yeah, definitely. Like yeah. my mom and my friends, everyone. Like, and obviously, I took some time off work to get to heal and get myself back to where I should be. And then after I'd kind of grieved in that sense, I thought I've got to, I've got to try again. So I went and obviously tried again, but. I think the hard part of it for me is the probably the two week wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was just yeah, that was genuinely very very yeah. difficult. How did you handle it? You know what it was. The first time I was off work, and I found it so hard. Every five minutes, I'd be like, "What's this?" And then the second time, I think the second time I was a lot more. I was a lot more blasé, but I was still a bit. Mm, what I was still it was still nerve-wracking yeah and I feel like I was and that's why the second time around I didn't tell anyone the only people right. that knew were my mum and my best friend right because I was like I need to keep it to myself yeah because I can't deal with everybody else's kind of expectations of thinking it's just going to happen and everything else so I think that's why I thought the less people that know the better um so the second time around I think I I perhaps found easier but it was still mentally really really hard and I remember just even though my mum's very religious I'm not particularly religious but I remember yeah. like praying like yeah. genuine prayer yeah prayer, because I was like please just let let this work I really really want this to work and I think even now I just want to get to the end it's like there are milestones that I'm getting through to and it's like every day I wake up and I barely move or something I'm like that's a milestone because we're still there we're still in the game that's that's been hard for me the I think the anxiety of thinking that something's going to happen something bad's going to happen you know that's that's a mental challenge that I think has been the hardest bit do you think that's because of the first um pregnancy do you think that's why you've you know you've been more anxious I think it has definitely been because of the, the miscarriage and the first pregnancy. Yeah. And I also think I'm quite a, not an anxious person, but everything's new, isn't it? So things yes. are happening to your body and you're like, what's that? I'm constantly texting my friend. Is this supposed to happen? Should I yeah. be this? And she's yeah. like, yeah, that's normal. That's <laughs> normal. Not a problem. And she even said to me, she's like, Emma, don't Google anything. If you need to ask somebody, she said, just ask me. But she yeah. said, do not go and type things in on Google. It's so <laughs> true. <laughs> Stay away off Google. Stay off it. She's like, just text me, phone me, whatever. She's like, just ask me and I'll tell you. You know, she's given me loads of pregnancy books and, you know, medical books rather than just going to Google and going, yeah. you know, this is happening. It shouldn't be happening. So I think every day is a is a challenge but it's also like the happiness of okay I'm a step closer I'm a step closer I'm a step yeah closer. and I think it's so common um I, I know for myself my sort of 
end point was getting a positive pregnancy test and then when I got the pregnancy test I was like oh now what's the next yeah. thing and then it's a seven week scan then it's a 12 week scan yeah. then it's the and, and every time you think you'll feel less anxious but you're still almost like waiting for the yeah. next um the next waiting milestone for the next thing the next milestone yeah and then obviously it's all kind of been heightened and exacerbated just due to the COVID situation yeah. that's happening at the moment. Yeah. So, but I feel like in a sense, it's been not negative, but not necessarily what my expectations were. But at the same time, I've had a lot more time to myself. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lot more time where I've been able to kind of reflect more and I suppose, um, nurture myself more in preparation to in preparation to what's going to be lying ahead in that sense because I know if I was going to work in the you know going into school and doing all that stuff I'd probably just like I'd probably literally be on my knees yeah so (laughs) there are some advantages which is good yeah yeah exactly so and um, so the, the main reason that I've made this podcast is to help mm. other people who are in this situation. So I speak to so many women who are in that situation of saying, shall I just carry on dating for another mm. however long or shall I just go for this? Um, so I always ask everyone for any advice um, that you would give people in terms of if you're in that situation, have you got any advice for, for people about what to do um I think if you're dating and you think there's a potential in um the the situation that you're in then by all means pursue that but I think me as a person I always have I'm always into backup plans yeah <laughs> so I have my a the a plan and I'm thinking well let's see where this what what would the c plan be or the b plan be and I think the first thing I would do would be just to see what your odds are in terms of your fertility. If you can, if you're in a position where, you know, your fertility is great and, you know, your results come back as fantastic, then it might be that, okay, maybe this person's worth investing, you know, months or years into before you start. But maybe it just gives you that assurance that actually, if this person isn't wanting to have a child or that's not on their agenda for the next two to three years and it's still something you want to do, then you need to pursue what makes you happy. And I think people don't understand that. Sometimes just do what makes you happy. Yeah. Follow your dreams and your desires. Because if I listen to society and I listen to, you know, you know, the people around me know what I'm like anyway. If I listen to the wider people, people, and I probably wouldn't have made this decision. Oh, that's going to be hard. Oh, you know, this, this and this. But life's hard in general. There are people out there worse off than you that will go and have a child. Yeah. So if that's what you want to do, then I would, you know, say go and do what makes you happy. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, you've got to do what's best for you. Not what's best for your mom, what's best for your dad, what is best for you. Yeah. And I think that would be my advice. Follow your dreams because that person that's in your life now might not be in your life in a year's time or two years time. But then that weight could be detrimental to you in some way. Yeah. So I think you need to you need to think about yourself. You need to be selfish, basically. Yeah. Um, sometimes. I'm reading a really good book, actually, at the moment about... Um, 
dating um it's actually about dating in your 20s and it says yeah. you know even though you you might only be in your 20s it's about not wasting time with people mm -hmm. who don't want the same thing as you it's about making a more quick decision if you think yeah. this isn't and because i think it's so easy to waste time and yeah. stay in things longer because you want yeah. it um that's definitely yeah. something i've learned more recently 100% like time is so precious yeah. and I've learned that through in this whole process that like not in a horrible way but I'm a lot more picky in terms of okay right from the bat it was always do you want children whereas now I'm like do if you're not bringing anything into my life yeah. that is going to add anything to my life, then this is, there's no point in investing because when you, when you're investing in somebody, you're giving them your time, you're giving them your energy. And some people are, you know, they're just energy vampires. They just want to suck all your energy out. Yeah. And that in itself is a waste of time, a waste of energy. And you could have been using your time more productively to develop you or to follow or pursue your dreams. So I think you need to be, discerning about who you give your time to yeah and sometimes it could be that actually for this period of time I'm going to dedicate it to myself and what yeah. I want to do and I think that's important like we don't value ourselves enough and yeah. I think we need to yeah no very true and um, I wanted to cover the topic of Black Lives Matter because I know that you yeah. very kindly spent some time with me. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ensure is that when I'm coaching and when I'm running my courses, that I'm doing it in a really inclusive way. And, you know, it's very easy for me to see things from my point of view. So um, yeah. you very kindly helped me uh, get more of an insight into what it would be like um, embarking on solo motherhood as a black woman. Is there anything specific do you think that's different um, going into solo motherhood as a black woman? Well, I've just been reading I'm Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Braithwaite. Oh, yes. And I've a lot of what she well. says in the beginning, I was just um, in the beginning chapters, um, kind of resonates with me like culturally because she's from the Caribbean uh, descent and uh, the culture is um, very, very same as like, I think she's from is it Barbados. I think it's Barbados and like, my parents are from Jamaica. And there's this whole idea of if you're a single mum, it's seen as something that derogatory. So that's why you're given the term a baby mum. And that's seen like negative, it's loaded with connotations of hardship. It isn't celebrated in a way that, you know, actually I'm empowered because I've done it by myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it, it, it's loaded with negative connotations. And that was something I did think about when I was embarking on the journey that I'd be labelled as a baby mum. But I thought to myself, well, do I fit the mould of a stereotypical baby mum? No. And everyone's journey to motherhood is very multifaceted yeah do you know what I mean and I yeah. think that's where we're moving to now and my journey I want to celebrate that yeah and I think nobody can come to me and say to me oh you're a baby mum because if somebody did I would rip <laughs> going on them basically yeah because I don't want to be defined as that I'm a mother yeah. and that's it do you know what I mean and I think that was something that kept, that did spring to mind and I think even beyond in black culture, I think being a single mum 
um, just in culture in general, yeah. has always been labelled negatively. Single mums are demonised in the public. And it's always seen as single mums being needy and therefore grabbing off the state and, mm. and things like that. Mm. But actually, I'm a self-sufficient, highly educated, independent woman mm. that has done this journey by myself because I can. And that is empowering. I think as a black woman, but in a, as a woman in general, uh, that's the narrative that I want out there for my story. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm not somebody yeah. that you know leeching off the state or however you want to put it but this is my journey because my journey to motherhood is different from your journey to motherhood and that's the way that it just needs to be seen yeah in that sense and I think that's why it's so good that you've shared your story on the podcast because um you know I think the more positive stories that we hear um I think a lot of women have in their heads will this be perceived negatively and the more yeah. positive we have the more positive stories we share um hopefully the easier it will be for other people to make the decision if that's the right decision for them yeah definitely and I think also just in relation to for example black culture it's very hush hush right so going for fertility tests and you perhaps making this decision isn't necessarily something that you would share with everybody perhaps yeah. you'd share it with you like your nearest and dearest so in terms of like differences culturally and I know that I'm not ashamed of my decision in any way but I think culturally because that's how I've been raised yeah. that we keep our business to ourselves kind of thing yeah like I haven't chosen to share that I've done this by myself with my colleagues yeah. but the people who need to know know what they know does that make sense? But yeah. that isn't because I'm ashamed of my story or I'm ashamed because if you want to sit down and ask me, I'm open to answering questions. That's not the issue. Yeah. But I'm not just going to go, oh, hi, my name's Emma and, I'm, and I've chosen to have a baby by myself. Yeah. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just no, like, we don't need to, you know, I just don't feel the need to do that. So I think culturally there are differences in terms of what we are willing to share with others. And also the idea that, like I said, like I mentioned previously, fertility and intervention of that mm. kind is almost frowned upon because I know, for example, like um, my hairdresser, again, <laughs> her sister, I think she's um, 47 and she's always wanted to have a child. She can't have a child. And if you mention the notion of IVF to her, she's like, no, absolutely not. It's right. not happening. So it's almost like she's sacrificed being a mum because of the preconceptions or the, the the ideology that she has of IVF being like science and unnatural in that mm. sense and then inherently that's sad and then even when her sister offered to carry the baby for her she was like absolutely no 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 and I think in our culture um, assisted reproduction isn't spoken about in the same way that for example I said as a black woman, if I needed, or if I wanted an Afro-Caribbean woman's eggs, if I couldn't, for example, produce eggs myself, then where would I start that journey? That would realistically be a needle in a haystack. I spoke to my friends and I'm like, well, how many of you would be willing to donate your eggs to somebody else? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I feel like from the forums that I'm on, I know a lot of white women find egg donors quite not necessarily easily but 
more readily yeah. available than there are, for example, if you want to break it down to being Black Caribbean or Black African. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's because we don't speak about it. It's stigmatised in our community. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, then when you start to think about, well, oh, I'm a woman and I want to do it by myself, it's like, well, why? And it's almost like, oh, so, you know, you, you don't, they're seeing it as an, an attack on masculinity. Mm. It's not an attack on masculinity. Mm. It's me wanting, not wanting to give up on the dream of being a mum. But and now think, you're less dependent on a man to be able to do that. Yeah. So that causes... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I've, I've had conversations with people, oh, it's because you don't, you don't want a man or you're into this feminism lark and all this business. And I'm like, it's got nothing to do, got nothing to do with that. No. But, like, why do you see me making this decision and attack on your masculinity? Yeah. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, what, what's the difference between somebody going out and having a one night stand and having a baby and me using a sperm donor? Mm. I think it's less hassle personally. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Gosh, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, but I think so um, useful for people to, to hear others' stories and journeys. And that's the absolute point of this podcast, that people can, you know, hear what other people have considered. And I think what's super yeah. positive is that you've said that your family have been really supportive. I think a lot of people build it up to think that their family may not be supportive and, and often are pleasantly surprised. And like you say, it's so, so much easier when you have got that support of your family around you, which is great. Yeah, exactly. And I remember even, for example, my best friend's nan, um, she, every day, every time I used to see her, Emma, you know, and I'd be a BS. And I'm like, no, no, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. <laughs> and then the day I came to her and I said, I'm pregnant, she said, ah, oh, the best than you could ever spend, the best foretoldsen, <laughs> she's on it. She was literally over the moon. And Brilliant. This is like, um, you know, like a woman in a 85-year-old Caribbean yeah. woman, she was just like so, so happy. She's like, I'm so happy for you. And I think to myself, like, we don't, I suppose I didn't give them enough credit in that yeah. sense. I think people often surprise us that, that, that your happiness is put over you know some of the things that they've grown up with or expectations or whatever yeah, they, they yeah. put your happiness over that which is really yeah. lovely actually and then what about the future so what what are your hopes um you know what what's your vision for how things will be in your future um my vision is to just make sure that I raise a really well-rounded kind and gentle little boy oh. make sure that I you know give him everything, I can give him everything he needs, being open and honest with him in relation to how he was conceived, his donor, and making sure that I, I inform him as much as possible about who he is and where and how he came about in that sense. I don't want him to feel like I've hidden anything from him. Yeah. I really yeah. want there to be an open dialogue between us. And if he wanted to go and explore where his donors from and stuff like that, then I'd be support him, supporting him 110% in, in doing that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, for me, it's just making sure that he's happy. And potentially I'd like another one before I'm 40. So 
yeah watch this space (laughs) (laughs) oh well thank you so much for your time it's been really lovely to chat to you uh, and i hope it'll really help a lot of people who are in the same position trying to make this decision thank you so much for having me if you've enjoyed this episode of the stalk and i podcast i'd hugely appreciate if you rate review and subscribe i look forward to seeing you again next week